Good morning, fellowship. My name is Ray, one of the pastors here, and uh, welcome to you if you're in Platinum, whether you're in uh, the uh, parents' room, uh, whether you're here in this hall. If you're here for the first time, a special welcome to you. You know, it's only two weeks away where God willing and government approve, uh, uh, pending government approval, we will start Science Park, our third site. Ooh, who's excited? Oh, now I want to, we want to pray for those of you who are Considering, You may not have actually made a decision, but if you're considering being part of that third site, and we know a number of you actually live in that area, we'd love you to stand right now because we want to actually pray for you. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Just take, stand up, and, uh, and uh, it'd be good if some people stood up. Otherwise, I'll feel like an idiot up here. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Now we've got it. Oh, yes, that's it. It's, oh, how encouraging is that? And no one's more encouraged than those in Platinum because they think I might have a space here in the hall. <laughs> now, stay, stay standing. And we know you're standing in Platinum right now. And uh, those of you online, you could be standing in your room and, and wanting to make Science Park the first point of entry into your life here at Fellowship. So let me now bring the congregation before God, presenting you before our Father in Heaven. Amen? Yeah, let's pray for them. Oh, Father in Heaven. We want to thank you for these brothers and sisters, these boys and girls who will, who will move from two seasons to Science Park to forge a new gospel community under fellowship. Um, as they form a new site, and what joy it is, Lord, and we pray by your kindness that we will get government approval for that. We pray, Father, that many in this site will come to know you that many will grow to be more likely, like you. And whether we're going or staying, Lord, we acknowledge there's a grief here. It's hard to say goodbye to our brothers and sisters who we're seeing week by week. But we want to say one thing, Lord Jesus, you are worth it. And whether we stay or go, Lord, help us all to grasp the privilege it is to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness in Jesus' powerful name. And all the saints said... Amen indeed. Please be seated. God bless you, friends. John Stott, great Bible teacher, blessed so many around the world, said this before he passed away. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. Dead as a doornail. We're going nowhere without the spirit of God. Uh, and uh, we now come to the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. We now come to that point where God breathed his spirit and life into the church of Jesus Christ. And the first point I want to make is that the spirit comes with power as promised. Um, if, if God got the world's attention through COVID for a couple of years, and he did, then he got the world's attention for, for thousands of years when he poured out his spirit upon his people. And the world's never been the same ever since. So let's set the context at the point of Pentecost, it's been exactly seven weeks since Christ has died and risen. In the last 10 days, the disciples have been prayerfully depending on the Holy Spirit that was promised to them to empower them to witness to Jesus. Then on day 50, and remember, that's what Pentecost means, Pentecost 50. On the day of Pentecost, that Jewish feast that celebrates the first fruits of the harvest of wheat, we discover that the waiting is over. The Spirit comes suddenly. It comes with power, with a bang. It comes just as the living Lord Jesus had promised. 
and the Spirit descends on each of the 120. They hear the sound of what sounds like a, a violent rushing wind. It's not an actually a wind. It actually just sounds like it. It must have been enormously loud. They then see flames of fire descending on each of the 120. And the point is very clear. Point two, the Spirit is coming on all of God's people and not just some. You know Spirit-filled people. How? Because they're proclaiming the wonderful things of God. Because word and spirit is never separated in the Bible. And so this scene, it's not just for them though, encouraged as they were. The scene shifts. Now we're in Jerusalem and there is many God-fearing Jews who have come from many nations to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And uh, it wasn't just the sound of the wind that drew their attention to the 120. It was now that these 120, these apostles who come uneducated men from Galilee, who's probably spent their whole life within the borders of Israel, they're actually speaking languages that they weren't taught. They were speaking languages that they did not know. They represented 15 different areas, north, south, east, and west. We've got a lovely map to describe where all the people in Jerusalem had come from. Quite beautiful, including Africa, amongst the Arabs, in Rome. The only disappointing thing is that there's no Maltese there, but the gospel will get there by the end of Acts. And uh, it really looks like a flight plan path for, uh, for Dubai Airport. And this international crowd, they're shocked. And this is what they're shocked about in verse 11. Peter writes, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, in our own mother language. Not like, this is not like the tongues of 1 Corinthians 12. These are real languages. This is not like memorizing John 3.16 in Tamil, for example. That's beautiful. But this is like, this would be equivalent to the Spirit coming upon me and me speaking perfect Swahili. I know some of you would, be, would rejoice, wouldn't you? To my shame, I can't even think of one word. You know, when I got engaged to my wife, uh, my, my pastor and his wife spent many years in Kenya. And I always remember the minister's wife, Marion Gabbard, she did this lovely Swahili dance up and down the hallway in celebration of uh, our engagement. Anyway, uh, it takes five years to fluently speak a language. And in an instant, the Spirit comes upon these disciples and empowers them to speak real languages to real people. This is not the gift of hearing. This is the gift of speaking. And it's the reverse of the Tower of Babel. Remember what we did in Genesis 11, how in the Tower of Babel, God's people sought to storm the throne room of God and defy him. And God brought the judgment of languages. And so there was confusion. And then he scatters them. Well, here in Pentecost, it's God's spirit who comes down. And uh, he gathers them together in the name of Christ and they're praising God. The complete opposite to what the Tower of Babel was about. And the two reactions are so different. You get kind of what I call curious but positive, like in verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Good question. But you also get cynical and negative. Ah, these guys, they're drunk. <laughs> And uh, remember, friends, that's pretty much the response that always happens whenever Jesus is mentioned. You're either going to get that really positive response. And I certainly had that, you know, where I've preached the gospel. I remember preaching once to a man in a park. He was in his early 20s. He had about six months to live because he drank so much that his kidneys were shot. His liver was shot. Anyway, I'm preaching the gospel to him. 
bang, on the spot, 11 o'clock in the morning, uh, he accepts Christ. I have absolutely no faith that his faith was real. But anyway, that was, but God proved me wrong because those six cans of beer that he had in his hands, he dropped them in the garbage bin and he never drank again. But I've also shared the gospel with people and they've looked at me and said, you're an idiot. (laughs) The reality is, friends, we're always going to get one of two reactions. Jesus says, you're either for me or you're against me. But what we mustn't do is determine for ourselves what the answer is going to be before we share the good news with them. Well, every miracle must be explained. And so Peter, now full of the Holy Spirit, begins to explain this miracle of Pentecost by bearing witness to the risen Lord Jesus. But the first thing Peter does is, is is kind of interesting to me, because the first thing he says is, guys, we're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. The bars aren't open. And you can see what he's doing. He's kind of giving a common sense answer. Uh, I remember when I came to faith and I, I... I couldn't with a clear conscience remain Roman Catholic, which was the the faith of my culture, Maltese. And um, growing up, if you weren't kind of Catholic as a Maltese person, you would seem you're either Catholic or a cult, and there was nothing in between. And uh, and I I, I said, Mum, Mum, I haven't joined a cult. It was just an Anglican church that I was going to. I said, the Queen of England is head of the Anglican church. I don't think she's the head of a cult. Now, what kind of an answer is that? That's a common sense answer. And my mother said, yeah, you're probably right. Well, Peter now uses three Bible verses, Joel 2, Psalm 16, and then Psalm 110, to explain what's happening at Pentecost. And the first thing he does is, is that the Spirit-empowered scriptures will now interpret Pentecost. He lets the Word interpret the experience. He goes to Joel chapter 2. It was written 700 plus years before this event. And Acts chapter 2, verse 16 which happens to be quoting Joel chapter 2, says this. No, this, is what the, this, is, this was what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on... And there's the big point. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servant, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Let's be clear, that phrase, the last days, it isn't the last three weeks before Jesus turns up. We're in the last days. It's that period between the first and second coming of Jesus. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. Why are we in the last days? Because Christ has come and the spirit has been poured out. Okay, now that the spirit has come, we're in the last days. The big point here is, God's spirit will descend now and indwell all of God's people. Bang. That's the big shift. From every nation, not just Jews. Men and women, boys and girls, young and old, slave and free. Whoa, so inclusive. You see the big arms of God wrapping himself around everyone who loves his son. I love what Galatians 3.28 says. Paul says, this is the fruit of this. There is neither in God's church, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, non-Jew, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I know now we live in a world where tolerance is very valued, but 2,000 years ago, it wasn't valued. Culture was, no culture was inclusive except Christians. In God's kingdom, all have access to the fullness of the Holy Spirit, or as I like to say, In God's kingdom, everyone flies first class. 
I remember I was on a, I was on a flight and uh, the, one of the, our sisters who, who uh, works in uh, cabin crew, she, she was uh, working with first class and she noticed my name on the manifest. Of course, I was back in economy. Uh, so she sent me five beautiful chocolates. Oh, that was so good. First class chocolates. They are better than the second economy. I mean, I had a foretaste of what could be. In fact, every time I check in, I always say, is there any chance of being upgraded to first class? <laughs> and the answer is always the same. I'm sorry, sir, we can't do that. But not so in the kingdom of God. You put your faith in Jesus, you call on the name of the Lord, you're in. And every spiritual blessing is yours to enjoy. Amen. What a great God we worship. Amen. I love the inclusiveness. Inside the church, there's no us and them. There's just us. We're all in it. Beautiful. And, uh, and all of us got upgraded to the Holy Spirit. And for who? Verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Now, the question is, hmm, which Lord are we talking about? Because you can't get the Spirit right unless you get Jesus right. Okay, You can't bypass Jesus to get to the Spirit. Forget that. You can't. Making sense of the Spirit requires making sense of Jesus. That's why for the rest of this chapter, Peter, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, takes everyone back to Jesus, the good news. He gets them to reassess their understanding of the Jesus who poured out the Spirit. And he says five things about Jesus. And he's really sharing what we call the gospel. Number one, and he's quoting Psalm 16 here. Number one. God verifies Jesus with miracles. God has stamped his authority on Jesus, declaring him to be the son of God with signs and wonders. And he didn't have to prove the signs and wonders. He'd already done it. They saw it. Two, God has planned, this is a shock, God had planned Jesus' death. Look at verse 23 with me. This man, that is this man Jesus, was handed over to you, by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, wow, and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So see what he's doing here? He's explaining the fact that the cross was both God's plan from before time and your sin. <laughs> now, in one sense, I say your sin, I'm talking about their sin who crucified him, but there's a sense where every one of our sins, it wasn't the nails that kept Jesus on the cross, it was our sins and his love. Our sins nailed Jesus to the cross. But here he's specifically focusing on their guilt. They might have meant it for evil, he says. He says, you might have meant it for evil, but God, he meant it for good. So, signs and wonders, God's plan that Jesus would die. Thirdly, God raised Jesus to life again. Now remember this, the only leader of, every, of any world religion that claims to be alive is Jesus. Verse 24, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It's like death has got Jesus on a mat, you know, like in sort of UFC kind of thing, and, uh, and Jesus just breaks free from the power of Satan and, uh, and the power of death. Oh, no, friends. We worship, we have a living hope. Why? Because we've got a living Lord who has made us alive. Death has no power over Jesus and it has no power over you. 
And then by quoting Psalm 16, what he's doing is, Peter is saying, God raised Jesus from the dead. King David had predicted it a thousand years ago in Psalm 16. And we apostles have eyewitnessed the, the, the appearances of the resurrected Lord. But it doesn't stop there. God also exalted Jesus to the right hand of the Father. So Jesus is not only alive, that's good, death has been defeated, I know, but he's ruling. In fact, the whole of the book of Acts is about the ruling reign of Jesus Christ through the powerful witness of the apostles, bringing people to himself. We're all going to have to stand before this Jesus, who is not only alive but ruling, is going to return on the last day. We're all going to stand before him. And you know what? If you call on the name of the Lord Jesus and you do that today, he is not going to be ashamed of you. So don't be ashamed of him. He is not going to be ashamed of you to call you his brother and sister. But don't be ashamed of him now. And then lastly, now as the exalted right hand, uh, now lifted and exalted to the right hand of the Father, God gives the spirit to Jesus, who then gives the spirit to the church. Verse 33. Exalted to the right hand of God, he, Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. There's the Trinity. And has poured out what you now see and hear on this day of Pentecost. Ah, the connection's made. So the one behind all of Pentecost and the pouring out of the Spirit. <laughs> a little bit of Mission Impossible. That's a perfect timing. <laughs> now, you think I set these things up. I leave, I leave it to the Lord to providentially give me the right phone rings. Right, so the Spirit has come down, giving gifts of real languages where people are proclaiming God. People are annoying saying, you know how this has happened? Because... That Jesus, that Jesus who you knew, who died in Christ, he was the one who poured out the Spirit. The Spirit-given gifts of languages was yet another piece of evidence that Jesus is Lord. In fact, the great climax is in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, you don't have to doubt it, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah, Arthur, oh, waiting's over. Israel's been waiting over a thousand years for the Messiah to come and restore Israel and God's people. And that would be so magnificent. The Messiah has come. Fantastic. Except for the fact that we killed him. That's, that's what they realized. They killed the same Christ 50 days before when they cried out, crucify him. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Now there's the clue that the Spirit has come upon them because the Spirit always brings conviction of sin. <laughs> Ever woken up and realized, what have I done? Well, they woke up that day discovering they killed the Christ. They murdered the Messiah. They had the blood of God on their hands. If Paul the Apostle calls himself the worst of sinners, because when he was a non-Christian, he used to kill Christians, right? If he's the worst of sinners, well, what do you call those who kill the Christ? The worst of the worst of sinners. 
Oh, no, there can't be any hope. No way. No mercy, no forgiveness. I mean, even in the Old Testament, there was no sacrifice for murder. Well, if there was no sacrifice and forgiveness offered for murder, you can bet your life there was no sacrifice offered for killing the Messiah. That's obviously, clearly, that's not an option. Except for the fact, at point six, these spirit-filled apostles are calling forth repentance and baptism. Verse 37b, brothers, what shall we do? Because they're thinking there's probably not much. Peter replied, well, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, Messiah, for the forgiveness of your sins, including this one. <laughs> and you receive what? My goodness, forgiveness and the Spirit. Repent. Change. Turn away from your sin. Turn and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to him once and for all. You know, we live in a world, you know, cancel culture. I can't stand cancel. I mean, sorry, that's not true. There's part of it that I know wants to deal with wrongs of the past. Absolutely. I've got to affirm that. There's a real desire to pursue justice. But this thing of, you know, your sins are left to condemn you for the rest of your life. That is so unchristian. You know, you know, once a racist, always a racist. Well, not necessarily. People change. You know, one, once a misogynist and woman, now, now he always will be. Well, not really. People actually do change. And, but nowhere is change offered. Nowhere is grace offered except here. Here the call is, you know, you can repent. You can change your mind. And you can take on baptism. What I love is baptism, which is the, the symbol of cleansing and renewal. Be baptized in the name of the one you murdered. Oh, my goodness. Doesn't Christianity freak you out? It should freak you out because nowhere else is this story being told. And look at the fruit. The spirit-filled apostles offer forgiveness and the spirit, okay. The worst of sinners, the worst of the worst of sinners, right? The Messiah murderers, forgiven, offered forgiveness by God through his God-appointed apostolic witnesses. And if they can be forgiven, do you not think you could be forgiven as well? Of course you can. And if the worst of sins, and this is the worst of sins, murdering the Messiah, if they could be forgiven and cleansed, do you not think your sins could be forgiven and cleansed? Of course you can. So take hold of this rope of salvation. Yeah, we say this, you know, but we deep down we think, yeah, but there's some people that can't be forgiven. They've gone too far. One of those people I think would be someone like a David Wood. Uh, on the screen, you're going to hear about a sociopath who did some very bad things. Let's see what God did with him. Please turn to the screen. Normal emotional attachments to other people. They lack empathy when they see a person suffering they don't feel bad over it i was in high school biology when evolutionary theory was really laid out for us species develop new characteristics new traits and then those can actually eventually take over and so i concluded that maybe i had reached a higher stage of humanity where i wasn't held back by emotions the way other people were. And so I came to regard all these little rules that people tell you to follow as kind of brainwashing me. Breaking into places and, you know, breaking into the school or stealing things. I felt like I was stripping away these layers of rules that people had been imposing on me my entire life. And it was a 
it was an amazing feeling. And if I really wanted to, to sort of be free of everything I've been, I've been brainwashed into thinking about right and wrong, and I decided uh, to kill my dad. And I decided to do it in a brutal fashion, not a, not a gunshot or anything. I was gonna do it with a hammer. When I walked up to my dad, I've got a, I had a hammer in my hand and I hit him in the head seven or eight times with a ball beam hammer until I thought he was dead and uh, I just left. One of his friends, Jim, found him covered in blood, took him to a hospital. And so I went and told my mom, hey, I may have done this because I, I think I'm being told on at that moment. I mean, instead of taking me to uh, the police or anything, she took me to a psychiatric hospital. They made a report based on the, the time that I was there and it said antisocial personality disorder. Eventually, Virginia had them remove me from the psychiatric hospital and take me to jail. Since my dad survived, I was convicted of malicious wounding. I was sentenced to 10 years in prison. There was a Christian named Randy, and he was a bit different from everyone else. And one day he was reading his Bible, and I walked up to him and I said, hey, you know why you're reading your Bible? You're reading your Bible because you're born in the United States. If you've been born in China, you'd be a Buddhist. If you've been born in India, you'd be a Hindu. If you've been born in Saudi Arabia, you'd be a Muslim, because people like you believe whatever you're taught to believe. He started arguing with me and started tearing me to pieces. And that was very different from other Christians that I'd argued with in the past. I ended up in, uh, for a couple of months, a series of arguments with Randy about Christianity versus my worldview. Randy was winning the arguments that we would get into. I'm not gonna beat him this way. I'm gonna have to really learn the Bible so that I can respond to him. I regarded that as my weakness. I have to say I was impressed with Jesus. I went from thinking that I'm the best person in the world to thinking that I'm the worst person in the world. The question came up, either I'm stuck like this, or there's someone out there who can deal with this, who out of anyone had the ability to change, radically change, severely messed up people. It's Jesus or it's nothing. It's Jesus or there is just no hope. I bowed down and I prayed and I said, God, I don't know if I'm going to believe in you tomorrow, but I believe in you right now. If you can do anything with me, you're welcome to it. And I ran through the sort of sinner's prayer that I'd heard um, there in the jail. When I sat up, uh, the whole world looked different. It looked like I was in a different place, like everything was a different color. And I didn't know if this was, you know, was something weird going on, but it was, uh, I didn't want to hurt anyone at that point. And uh, it was an, uh, an amazing calm. I felt like I'd been physically nonstop brawling all my life and that I finally could just sit down and rest. Isn't that an amazing story? I've seen that now five times. It never stops being amazing. You know, the not one mention of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is all over that story. The conviction of his own sin that someone could save a person who was messed up with him, that recognition that if it's Jesus, it's nothing. There's, if it's not Jesus, there's no hope. 
that ability to with the Spirit of God that worked in Randy's life, that got him to witness to David Wood. Uh, the way in which he would end up marrying a woman, having a number of children, now defending the faith of Christ, um, completely transformed. My sister sent an extended testimony version of, of his story. Uh, sorry, I sent to, to my family. I thought it would be a great gospel opportunity to share the power of, of Jesus. And my younger sister, who's a believer, got the video and watched it, and she said, I realise I can't give up on anyone. Why? Because that's the power of the gospel and the power of the spirit. And I tell you this, the city of Dubai is desperate to hear this. That with Jesus, there's nothing he can't forgive. Friends, this is the gospel lifeline thrown out to you. There are some of you here today who have never taken, I pray and pray, today will be the day you say yes to Jesus. Don't, Don't throw this away. And with this comes the gift of the Spirit, that God not only wants to cleanse you and wash you clean, he wants to transform you, he wants to dwell within you, he wants to empower you to be the person you want to be and the person he wants you to be. I love the way in which uh, John Stott puts the gift of the Spirit in the ministry of the Spirit. He says this, there is no life without the life-giving Spirit. There is no understanding without the Spirit of truth. There is no fellowship without the unity of the Spirit. There is no Christ-like character apart from his fruit of the Spirit. And there is no witness without the power of the Spirit. And this promise of forgiveness in Jesus' name and the gift of the Spirit is given for them and for us. Look at verse 39. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. The promise is for their children and our children. So today I want to say I thank God for every parent here and every grandparent and uncle and auntie who plays a part ministering to their children of their families. I want to thank God for the nannies who have such a special relationship with the children that they care for. I want to thank God for the school teachers here. I want to thank God for the coaches and the counsellors. I want to thank God for the children's leaders and the youth leaders who right now are ministering to our children in various rooms upstairs, who are discipling the kids of of this church and bringing them into a, a growing knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Please love them. Please thank them. Please, I know there's a lot of kind of, we're going through a couple of changes, quite a few changes right now. Be patient. We'll work our way through it. But most of all, be respectful to them. They can't love you any more than by loving your children. And hey, maybe it's time for you to consider that that's exactly what God wants you to do, to play your part in discipling the children and youth of this church. Why don't you just dip your toe in the water, go to the welcome desk and say, look, I'd like to consider more about serving in this wonderful ministry because if we've got opportunities here, my friends, we've got so many more opportunities at Science Park. Please consider that. What a great task before us, seriously. There have been 80 generations between Christ and now of humanity. 80 generations, each generation, say 25 years. And friends, we are responsible for this generation here in Dubai, those who fear him and those who hate him, those who are far off and those who are near. And you need to understand that there is no one so good that they don't need Jesus. And you need to understand that no one is so bad that they can't receive Jesus. And that's that testimony is a beautiful example of that.
And on the day of Pentecost, not three, not 300, not not 300, but 3,000 were baptized. They believed in about... I thought the 100 we baptized on Easter Sunday morning was fantastic. 3,000. And here is and here is Peter. You know, 50 days before, there he was, a scared, timid little lamb who denied Jesus once, twice, three times. Now filled with the Spirit of God, he was a bold lion, declaring in the very face of those who cried out, crucify Jesus. He is now pointing out their sin and pointing out the Savior who can forgive them. He went from scared lamb to bold lion. Isn't that what you would like? See, what could change a man like that? I tell you what changed him. It was three things. The power, the power of forgiveness, the power of the resurrection, and the power of the Spirit. The same power that resides within you if you're a follower of Jesus. Who here doesn't want to become a bold line of Jesus? You know, at the end of the service, Pastor Tim's going to lead us in a prayer where he's going to ask God to refresh us, that we may be emboldened to be bold lines for Christ. But before I go, I, I want to invite those of you who, who realize, hey, I'm jammed up, man. I, there is stuff I've done I didn't think I could be forgiven. And today I've heard for the first time that with Jesus, there's nothing he can't forgive. And I want that. I need that. Because it's either Jesus or nothing. Who wants Jesus? You want Jesus? Why don't we bow our heads just to focus our thoughts. And for those of you who want to take the hand of Jesus today, to turn away from your sin, to put your trust in him and sit under the lordship of Christ, why don't you put up your hand right now? Just to make a bold declaration. Today, Jesus, I want what you're offering. Don't be afraid. That's it. Just put up your hand. Nice and straight, because I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus, because he doesn't want to be ashamed of me. And I want complete forgiveness. I want the gift of the Spirit. Good. Then let's go to prayer. Father in heaven, today we say to you, we have sinned against you. You made us in your image, but we fell short of that image in rebellion against you. We know, Lord, that we owed a debt we couldn't pay. And you, Lord Jesus, on the cross, you paid that debt that you didn't owe, but we did. And you paid that debt once and for all. And so today, Lord, those of us who have not yet crossed the line, but want to cross the line and take the hand of Jesus, we now step forward. We now reach out with our hand, so to speak, and take hold of this offer of forgiveness. We confess you to be the Lord and Savior of the world. We confess you to be the one who is risen from the dead and we bow before you in a life of submission. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. And all the saints said, amen Amen indeed. Brothers and sisters, if you said that prayer for the first time and gave your life to Christ, know that the angels in heaven are rejoicing, that you can know now what God is going to say on the last day. He's going to say of you what he says of the Messiah murderers not guilty. And for that, we praise our God. So let's do that in our next song.